Good morning, Bridge. I love you guys. Love you more. <laughs> it is so good to see you guys today, and I hope that, uh, that you're already being blessed. The presence of the Lord is in this house, and I believe the Holy Spirit wants to teach us today. We're in a series that we've been simply calling Love is a Verb, and we've been learning that love is not just a feeling, it's not just an emotion, uh, but it is in fact uh, uh, an action. It's a choice. It's a commitment that we make. So let's just start off this morning by talking a, a little bit about who we are as a nation and who we are uh, as a people. How many of you would agree with me that we live in a world where image is everything? Can, can I see that hand? God bless that hand. I see that hand. God bless that hand. It's, it's just true, isn't it? Tell you what, let's do a little test, okay? I'm gonna, I'll give you the first part of the sentence, and, and then you fill in the blank if you know what it is, okay? Let's see who can go first in each one of them. Ready? Here we go. You got to look out for number. Well, you all got that at the same time. Here we go. You got to be willing to blow your own. You got it. All right. I got to do what's right for me. Okay. My tastes are simple. I simply want the. Okay. You guys know this stuff really well. It's expensive, but I'm worth it. Don't you love that one? That's my favorite. We live in a world that's obsessed with the way we look to others. Can I get a witness in the house? In fact, somebody said the theme of our society is if you got it, flaunt it, and if you don't got it, fake it till you make it. <laughs> That's just kind of... So here's my question. Where has all this emphasis on self-promotion gotten us? Arthur Schlesinger Jr. wrote a book back in the 70s that he called The Disuniting of These United States, and he talked about that we're moving as a nation from a, from a melting pot to a stew pot. You know the difference where each individual piece is there and you can tell it? He said we're becoming a society of fragmented relationships with a special interest group for everything. D did he prophesy or what? Those are the realities. And I know they're complex issues. But this, the bottom line is this. Lean in. Hear these words. If you tune me out from here on now, uh, hear these words. You cannot promote yourself and work on relationships at the same time. Do I need to say that again? You cannot promote yourself and work on relationships at the same time. And so what we're doing this winter is we're working our way through 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're picking up what the uh, action steps are, the commitments that we make as we commit to be loving people. If you've missed any of the messages, you can get the manuscripts online. Just go to info at bridgechurch.cc. we got a slide for that. There we go. Info at bridgechurch.cc. Request the Goldsboro notes if you want this one, because each of the campus pastors has the privilege to kind of develop our own. Pastor Farrell, of course, develops his own on the Princeton campus. And so if you want this message, make sure you request Goldsboro. And let me mention quickly, too, we've got the Bible app going now for those of you that like to take notes. Just go to the YouVersion Bible, hit Events, and you'll find uh, the Goldsboro Bridge. Open that up. You'll find all of the notes, all of the scriptures, everything we're going to be talking about today. And you can take your own notes. The only uh, caveat is, is it goes away after Sunday. So it's kind of like manna from heaven. Somebody told me that's what my sermons are like. Manna from heaven, fresh every morning, rots away after 24 hours. That's so when, when you finish that, you've got to save it. You've got to email it to yourself, or it will, in fact, go away. So let's get into it. Oh, one more thing. Ownership class is coming up March 5th. We've got a, we've got a text 
to sign up for it. So there's a number, if we get the number on the screen, 72345. If you text to that number, the word ownership, we'll get you signed up for that class. And so if you're thinking about becoming a part of the Bridge family, you want to become a part of the church family, then sign up for ownership. It'll be after this service on Sunday, March 5th. Uh, we'll feed you lunch. We'll take care of your kids. We'll have a good time. In fact, if you've been here for a while, it wouldn't be a bad idea to go back through ownership just to get a fresh look at who we are and what we do and what it means to be an owner in this house. We really want you to be a part. You ready to get into it? 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Today we're looking at verse 4. We're looking specifically at the phrase love. Say it with me. Love is never boastful or proud. Love is never boastful or proud. Now let's be clear right up front. There's nothing wrong with being proud. If your kid makes the honor roll, what should you be? Somebody say proud. It's just, there's nothing wrong with being proud about a job well done. If you do something good, your kids do something good, you ought to be proud of it. But that's not what Paul's talking about in this passage. The, the word boastful in the original manuscripts, the original Greek manuscripts, is the word pepperoni that literally means to be a braggart. The word proud in that passage is fusio that means to inflate or to puff up. So what's he talking about when he says love is not uh, boastful or proud? He's not talking about healthy pride. He's talking about the kind of pride that inflates the truth. He's talking about the kind of pride that where somebody needs or feels the need to, to flaunt an accomplishment in order to feel good about themselves. And let's be honest, guys. You can think of people in your life that that fall into that trap, but if we're really honest with ourselves, we all fall into that trap sometimes. We feel the need to, to puff ourselves up in order to feel good about ourselves. Now hear me, it takes a healthy self-worth to have healthy relationships, but when you feel the need to inflate yourself in order for people to like you, that's not healthy. And your relationships won't be healthy either. The question is, what are we going to do about it? We've all fallen into that trap before. Can I get an amen in the house? That was weaker than I expected it to be. You can't lie in church and get away with it. God is watching. We've all fallen into this trap at one time or another. Amen. That was better. That was better. Those of you that are new, understand that if I don't get feedback, I figure you're not with me and I explain it some more. We'll be here for a long time, so feedback is good. Got it? So the time we have, thank you for the got it's. Uh, <laughs> So the time we, I knew that would get you. Uh, you don't want to be here too long, right? So the time we have, I want to teach you the antidote to that uh, boastful kind of pride, okay? I want to teach you three simple principles from the Scripture so that you can uh, take that antidote and you won't fall into that poison. But before we do, let me give you three reasons you ought to take the antidote. This is not just an academic exercise where you can go take some notes and file the paper away. But in fact, we need to incorporate these principles into our lives. Let me give you three reasons why, and then we're going to lean into the antidote this morning. Is that worth a few minutes of our time? Proverbs chapter 13, verse 10. Pride only leads to arguments, but those who take advice are wise. Anybody agree? Here's the problem. Most of the time, we don't even realize how badly our pride is damaging our relationships until the damage is already done. We know they're not working. We just don't know why. And here's what we tend to assume. It's the other person's fault. Don't throw any elbows. Well, I saw that elbow. Quit. Here's three reasons why we ought to take the antidote. Number one, pride produces misunderstandings. When pride controls my thoughts, I don't need to listen to my wife. What has she got to say? 
I don't need to listen to children. What children are just wookies. They don't know nothing, right? I don't have to listen to my boss or my coworkers because I'm smarter than all of them. I mean, come on. When we are prideful, we presume, we prejudge, we, we jump to conclusions, and the result is we have misunderstandings. The boss gives you a project, you're too proud to admit that you don't fully understand the instructions or what it is you're supposed to do, or you're too insecure to say anything about it. So what happens? You don't communicate, you end up making a mess. I ran across a, a Reader's Digest article not too long ago from the, the uh, Life in These United States. You ever seen that one? I love those. The, the story was told of this guy who took a new job, and he might have puffed up his resume a little bit, might have fudged a little bit in the interview by saying that he was very familiar with all kinds of office equipment. He wasn't. He didn't know anything about office equipment. He just needed a job. And so the first day on the job, the boss decided he would break him in easy. He said, well, let me just give you a simple job. Here's a stack of really important papers. These are the originals. We don't have any copies. And so I need you to make copies of all of this and then separate out the originals from the copies. This is really important stuff. And so, but that's a task you can do. Just make copies and create two stacks. And so you got it? Any questions? No, I got it, boss. I got this thing. And so the boss walks away, and the new employee goes, oh, I'm not familiar with the copier. I don't know how it works. But So he jumped in, and he started going after it. And after a while, the boss came back by and said, so how's it going? He said, man, I am going great guns. Look, I worked halfway through that stack already. He said, well, great. That's good. Uh, so where are the copies? He said, you know, I can't figure out where the copies come out of this thing. And he looked, and he was feeding the papers into a shredder. Here's how Jesus put it, Matthew chapter 7, verse 5. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. When we're full of pride, we can see our brother's speck. Hello? We can't see the telephone pole that's sticking out of our eye. <laughs> That's reality. When we started the series, we talked about love is blind, and we talked about that idea of falling in love and kind of going brain dead. Well, pride has its own kind of blindness, and it's blindness to our own faults. And ultimately, that always, always, always leads to misunderstandings. Like I heard just the other day a story about Pastor Farrell's son, Brandon. When he was younger, uh, he would go around and he would tell people, hey, I, I'm Pastor Farrell's son. <laughs> I'm Pastor Farrell's son. And one day Millie pulled him aside and said, you know, Brandon, you shouldn't do that. Just, just tell people I'm Brandon Hardison. That's all you need to say. It's in the next door. He's in a, the next day he's in a store and, and uh, somebody walks up to him and says, hey, aren't you Pastor Farrell's son? And Brandon said, well, I thought so, but Mom told me yesterday I'm not. I don't know. I don't know if that's true. That might be a rumor. There might, in fact, if you tell Farrell I said that, I'll get fired, so please don't. Can you edit that out of the tape? Just cut that part. Here's what I do know. Pride leads to misunderstandings. Amen? The second reason you need the antidote is pride leads or prevents intimacy. Pride prevents intimacy. Truth of the matter is, it's hard to even start a relationship when you're dealing with a prideful person. Am I right? I mean, you meet somebody, and they're kind of nice on the surface, and then very quickly in the conversation, you find out that they're kind of puffing themselves up, and they're really conceited, and before you know what you're going, I think I want to be in relationship with this guy. That's why Paul wrote in Galatians 5, 26, don't be conceited or make others jealous by claiming they are better than they are. When you do, it just blocks true relationships from forming. You know what I found? I found that in most cases, people who can brag, 
don't need to. They let their accomplishments speak for themselves. Gregory Peck, the classic, way before most of our times, but classic actor, the story is told from him, after he made his first few of the hundreds of movies that he made, he was turned away at a restaurant. And, uh, and his friend on the way out said, well, why didn't you tell him who you are? To which Peck replied, if I have to tell him who I am, I ain't. There's a lesson in that. Muhammad Ali had a similar kind of event where he was on a plane one day and, and uh, the flight attendant came by and said, Mr. Ali, I need you to buckle your seatbelt. Muhammad Ali said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. To which the attendant replied, Superman don't need no airplane. Buckle your seatbelt, sir. <laughs> Pride always gets us in trouble. Here's how it works. I meet somebody, and I think, boy, when I tell them these stories about my past, I'm really going to wow them. And that's exactly what happens. They go, wow, that's interesting, which is code for, wow, he's really a jerk, isn't he? <laughs> Bragging just blocks any chance of authentic relationship. Romans chapter 12, verse 16. Don't try to act big, and don't think you know it all and, and even if you're in relationship with somebody and uh, and that relationship's going on it's really hard to take that to the next level it's hard to take a relationship all the way to the level of intimacy when pride is in the mix H have you figured out yet that pride most of the time is it comes out of just a simple fear of rejection have you figured that out yet most of the time, we get this idea that if we, if, 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 we, if we hide our faults, if we hide our fears, if we hide our feelings, if we put up a good front, then maybe people will like us. But if we're real, if we're honest, if we're transparent, then, then I don't know if they're going to like me or not. I mean, the dating scene is the worst possible. It's been a long time since I've been in the dating scene. Kim and I have been married 41 years now, but I still remember how awkward the dating scene, I call it the highest form of false advertising there is on the planet. <laughs> right? I mean, singles clubs, for example. Where else on the planet do you go to a place where a total stranger walks up to you and says, can I buy you something? Can I buy you a drink? I mean... Have you ever had anybody walk up to you at Walmart and say, can I buy you a toaster? I mean, where does that <laughs> happen anywhere on the planet? It just doesn't happen. There's this fakery that goes on. Here's what the Bible says. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, If we live in the light, as God is in the light, we can do what? Share fellowship with each other. Where does fellowship happen? In the light. It's where we're transparent and we're authentic and we're real with each other. We take the masks off. We finally enter into the intimate relationships that we long for. Pride produces misunderstandings. It prevents intimacy. Ultimately, it, pro it postpones reconciliation. Even when you're in relationship, when tough times come, Pride makes it difficult for us to resolve those conflicts. In fact, most of us would rather wallow in it for a while than admit we messed up. I thought it'd be quiet in this room after I said that. It's true. Mark Twain's quoted as saying, Temper gets us in trouble, pride keeps us there. 
I don't really have a big temper problem, so I would say for me, stupidity gets me in trouble and pride keeps me there. I've been married a long time and I know my wife fairly well, but it's, it's phenomenal to me. Uh, you know, I'm a reasonably intelligent guy. I will think about things that I need to talk with Kim about and we'll get into a conversation and, and I'll say the words and somehow they sound different coming out of my mouth than they sounded in my head. And before you know it, I got this kind of look coming from Kim, and I go, oh, I just said something stupid again, didn't I? Well, I have to make a decision in that moment. Am I going to blame her for not understanding what I meant? Come on. Or am I going to say, boy, I blew it that time, didn't I? I'm sorry. That's not what I meant. The sad reality is that in most relationships, marriage of course, but in so many other relationships, in most relationships, Satan stirs this boastful pride thing into our hearts and we become too proud to admit that we messed up. And so what do we do? We live in the doghouse. We give each other the silent treatment. We tiptoe around the pile of doggy poop in our living room and pretend it isn't there. And somebody comes over to visit and they walk in the room and go... What's that smell? What smell? I don't smell anything. There it is. There's a pile in the middle of the living room. I don't see anything. I don't know what you're talking about. The only thing that's happening is that pride is keeping us stuck. Can I throw this in? You don't have to put any extra in the offering. You just throw this on the side. Uh, Parents, don't ever underestimate the power of the model you're giving your kids. If your kids never hear or see you say, I'm sorry, I was wrong, then when they get into relationships, they won't have a clue how to resolve their problems. Understand the model that you give them as they are growing. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13 says, A man who refuses to admit his mistakes can never be, what is it? Successful. But... Read it with me. But if he confesses and forsakes them, he gets another chance. Knowing that simple truth, how sad is it that so many people, even followers of Christ, dedicated followers of Jesus, live in unresolved conflict year after year after year. We'll talk about conflict later in this series and how to resolve it, but right now I need you to understand that as long as pride is at work in your life and in your relationships, you will refuse to admit your fault. You will be paralyzed from asking for or offering forgiveness, and your relationships will suffer because of it. Love is never boastful or Pride produces misunderstandings. Pride prevents intimacy. Pride postpones reconciliation. Ultimately, it destroys relationships of every kind. Is anybody relating to this? Is this real stuff in our lives? Is the antidote worth talking about for a few minutes? I mean, if you guys want to go on, we can, I guess, but I think we need this. As I researched it and prepared it, I'm sitting there thinking, man, I need this in my relationships. We need this. So let me give you the antidote to being prideful. There are three parts to it. All three are critical. They're cumulative. Number one, I must accept my humanity. 
I've got to admit I'm not perfect. Now, that sounds so obvious, and yet it can be so incredibly difficult. Here's what the Bible says. There is not a just man on earth that does good and sins not. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What does all include? All. The Bible says if we say we have not sinned, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in it. Hear me, guys. When we do this, we're the only ones that we're deceiving. Everybody around us is going, does he even know what he said? Does he even know what he's doing? Does she even know how she's acting? Pride makes us blind to our own failures. And is that an excuse to say it's okay? I'm, I'm just human and I'm imperfect? No, 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 no. Everything in us is committed to becoming more and more and more like Christ. But there is good news. The good news also says we have an advocate with the Father. His name is Jesus Christ. The Bible says if you'll confess your sins, I will forgive your sins. The Bible says confess one to another that you may be healed. Whoa, whoa, wait, no, wait, no. Uh, okay, I get the whole talk to God about it thing, but now you're telling me to confess it to one another that I might be healed? That would be so humbling. That's the point. See, the opposite of pride is humility. And the only way, it's what the Bible says, God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. And so we start this journey by recognizing who we are. And it's by definition, that's what humility is. Humility is being realistic about our strengths, honest about our weaknesses, and grateful for God's grace that is freely given to us. Romans chapter 12, verse 3. I love the way that Phillips paraphrases this one. Let's read it together. One, two, three, go. Don't cherish exaggerated ideas of yourself or your importance, but try to have a, a sane estimate of your capabilities. What does that mean, sane estimate? It, it means be realistic. It, it means be smart about this thing. Don't have a false modesty. That's not humility. At the same time, don't puff yourself up. And so that, that definition of humility is this, I recognize I have some strengths, I recognize I have some weaknesses, and, and I'm thankful for the grace of God that helps me make it up. You understand that's what makes a church strong? Because if, if my fingers represent my strengths and the gaps between them recognize, represent my weaknesses, and, and I have strengths and weaknesses, can somebody say amen? I don't have any weaknesses to speak of, but I have a few. Uh, just ask Kim. She'll list them for you. Uh, then you have strengths and weaknesses. You know how we get stronger as a church? When instead of competing with each other, we start completing each other. That, that's what Paul's actually talking about in Romans 12 when he says, don't exaggerate, but have a sane estimate. He's talking about Finding out what your strengths, what your gifts and talents and your faith levels are. And then if your gift is teaching, teach. And if your gift is encouragement, encourage. And if your gift is leadership, lead. Whatever your gift is, you ought to be doing it because all of us have some gifts, but none of us have all of them. It's only when we come together and we're honest with ourselves and that we're humble about it that God can actually ultimately uh, use us. Now hear me, guys. Lean into this. This is huge. 
you do understand that God already knows about those weaknesses. It's not like if you get honest about him, he's going to say, well, shazam, I didn't know that about you. I'm going to have to zap you now. He already knows the good, the bad, and the ugly. He already knows your strengths and weaknesses. So celebrate the strengths. Be thankful that God gave them to you, and you're doing your best to develop them, and then work on the weaknesses and come together to complete one another. That's what God called us to. If you really want to break the back of pride, this boastful kind of pride that destroys relationships, you've got to recognize your humanity. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 9. Can any of us really say, my thoughts are pure and my sins are gone? Anybody courageous enough to say, no. We've all made mistakes. Just don't try to be something you're not, okay? Kind of like the, the rookie congressman who was elected to Congress, and he got to Washington, D.C., and he found his office the, on the first day, and when he walked into the room, all he found was a desk and a chair and a telephone, and he's kind of feeling good about himself, got elected to Congress, and it's going to be amazing what's going to happen. And the custodian walks into his office just about that time, and as soon as he saw the guy walked in, he picks up the phone, and he says, oh, yes, Mr. President. Oh, oh I, yeah, I was quite confident that my idea would work. Oh, no, sir, I don't want any public credit. That'll be fine. Thank you, sir, for the privilege of serving. And he hangs up the phone, and he looks at the custodian and said, can I help you with something? And the custodian said, I just came to hook up the telephone. That's what I'm here for. Humanity and humility always go together. And hear me, the more you recognize your humanity, the more humble you will be. Fact of the matter is, real relationships come to authentic people. Is that right? When you wear a mask, the only people you attract are other people who wear masks. It's one of the things I love about this place, this church called The Bridge, where we can just come be ourselves, be real with each other. Yeah, we got some strengths. Yeah, we got some issues. Yeah, we got some things we want to work on. We got some stuff we know and some stuff we don't know. People are in churches all the time who would rather pretend they got it all together than get it all together. And we want to help each other get there. But the first step is you've got to recognize your humanity the second is you've got to recognize god's grace operating in your life you've got to recognize and prioritize god's grace operating in your life what does that mean it means simply that everything i have everything i can do uh, every ability i have everything i got is simply because there is a gracious god out there i thought i'd get one amen out of that 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. What are you so puffed up about? What do you have that God hasn't given you? And if all you have is from God, why act as though you've accomplished something on your own? Well, yeah, Pastor Jim, I hear that. <clears throat> That's a great verse. But it doesn't apply to me because I'm a self-made man. I have earned everything I got. Well, good for you. Uh, who gave you the ability to earn it? Who gave you the smarts to do what you do? Who chose your parents? If you were born in Siberia, do you think your life story would be different? 
So the reality is there's so many things over which we have no control whatsoever that have defined ultimately everything we have. And the only way that we actually come to that place of authenticity is if we acknowledge not only our humanity, but whatever good stuff's going on, it's because God has blessed us amazingly. We owe it to Him. Somebody said it this way, God deals you the cards. The only control you have is, is how you play them. James said, every good gift comes from God. Somebody else said it this way, the problem with self-made men is they tend to worship their maker. My favorite, though, is the, is the story of the ant who crawled up on the elephant's back to cross the bridge. And when they got to the other side of the bridge, the ant said, boy, we really shook that bridge, didn't we? You start thinking you got it all together. You might be the ant in our little story. Kids do that all the time, don't they? I mean, they'll come to one of the parents for help, and the parent will help them make this thing, and then go to the other parent and say, look what I did all by myself. That's fine for kids. But we're supposed to grow out of that and recognize ultimately that whatever we did and whatever we can accomplish and whatever we have, it's all because Dad, our Heavenly Father, helped us to get there. And again, the other extreme is, is I'm a worm, I'm no good. Hear me, God don't make no junk. I'm not suggesting you get puffed up. I'm just suggesting that ultimately we have to look to God, accept our humanity, and remember His grace operating in our lives. But here's the bottom line. And if you've tuned me out anywhere along the way, come on back. Elbow somebody right now and say, come on back. This is the most important thing Pastor Jim's going to say today. You got me? Okay. If you already figured out what you want for lunch, you can set that aside for now. I want you to hear this third part of the antidote. Got it? Are you with me? Are you curious about what the third part is? Here it is. You ready? Not ready yet? I'll explain it some more. If I'm really going to break the back of boastful pride in my life and ultimately have the love relationships that I long for, I must experience God's unconditional love. If you ever want to hope to overcome pride, you've got to experience God's unconditional love. How... How is that an antidote to pride? Have you ever noticed how empty trucks are louder than full ones? Have you ever noticed that the only way a drum makes the sounds that it makes is if they're hollow? Have you noticed that? Boastful pride indicates an emptiness on the inside. It's an indicator that there's a void in there. Vain people are empty at the core, and that's why they feel the need to make noise and to brag. The greater the void, the greater the boast. Let's just be honest, guys. The reason people brag, the reason you and I brag is, is generally we're attempting to look good on the outside because we're not feeling all that great on the inside. What I need you to hear me say, if you didn't hear anything else today, lean into this. There is a hole in all of our lives. There's a void that all of us have. It's just a part of being a human being living on this planet, and that void is God-shaped. He's the only one that can fill that void. 
You can try to fill it up with stuff. You can try to fill it up with accomplishments. You can try to fill it up with party scenes. You can try to fill it up with trophies. You can try to fill it up with all kinds of stuff. But at the end of the day, it's a God-shaped void. And only God can fill that void. If you really want to break the back of boastful pride and have the intimacy that comes from authentic, transparent relationship, then you've got to lean into this idea of I need God's unconditional love to fill that void in my life. That's why Paul prayed to the church at Ephesus and for us. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 18 and 19, let's read it together. May you be able to feel and understand how long, how wide, how deep, how high God's love really is, and to experience this love for yourself. I've been in this business a long time. I've been in a lot of churches and a lot of countries and a lot of places. And it stuns me year after year after year how many people sit in church week after week after week, and they've never actually experienced God's love. Oh, oh, they know what they believe. They know who Jesus is. They know something about the Christian life, but they've never felt it. They've never understood it. They've never experienced it. Hear me, guys. When you feel, understand, and experience the love of God wash over you like a tidal wave, like a hurricane, where it just overwhelms you and nothing else matters but that experience in that moment. Hear me, when you have that experience with God, you don't need to be validated by anybody else because you feel loved by God. You don't have to brag about yourself cover up your needs and your sins. You don't have to pretend everything's fine when you know it's not. You feel the unconditional love of God. You don't need to drop names anymore. You don't need to buy status symbols, have little cockroaches on your shirt so everybody be impressed. You don't need to do that stuff. You don't need to say things like, look at me, I'm okay. Because you know you're loved just as you are. You're loved. You know there's nothing you can do to make God love you any more than he does. Nothing you can do to make him love you less. Because he loves you based on who he is. It is an unconditional love. And when that finally washes over you, when you feel that love, and I hope, I hope you're hearing this, I hope you'll get it today, when you experience God's love, you are finally free from self-promotion. You're free from the need to validate yourself by stuff and external stuff. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, the proof of God's amazing love for us is that while we were sinning, Christ died for us. How much does God love you? Imagine the cross of Jesus and imagine him saying, I love you this much. That's how much he loves you. Even when I was turning my back on him, even when I was thumbing my nose at him, even when I was suggesting that I was captain of my own fate. Give me a break. You can't figure out what you want for lunch today. You're the captain of your own eternity. Give me a break. Picture Jesus saying, I love you this much. My wife Kim grew up in church. 
In fact, the first time she gave her life to Jesus Christ, she says it, she was so young she can't even remember how old she was. We've often said that if we had met in high school, we never would have connected because she was a goody two-shoes and I was a filthy beast. <laughs> you know, Glad we didn't meet until after I came to Jesus. But she was in her 30s before something clicked for her when she realized, I know everything I need to do to avoid going to hell, and I've done those things but I've never had the love of God wash over me like a tidal wave. She skipped church that morning, stayed home, got on her face before God, and said, God, I just need you to love me just like I am. And in that moment on that day, everything changed in Kim's life. Everything changed. She tells this story every time she has the opportunity. Why? Because she didn't just know about God. She felt, understood, experienced Him. And I pray, I pray, I pray that you will if you haven't. And if you have, that you will again and again and again. Because when it starts to overflow, fill you up. Not only does it fill the emptiness inside of you, but it starts to flow over onto the people around you. And before you know it, people are saying, what is the deal with you? You get hit with stuff just like I do, but you seem to roll with the punches. What's the deal with you? And you're in a position to say, ah, you know, I'm just, just human, blessed by the grace of God, but I know He loves me. And I know that whatever I face in life, I'm going to get through it with his grace and his goodness. i got to close, but before I do, do you know the most serious form of boastful pride? Do you know what that is? It's the spiritual pride that says, I got this. I don't need God. I'm fine. I don't need forgiveness. I'm not perfect, but I'm not a chainsaw murderer. You know, never cut anybody up with an axe. Not, not as bad as my neighbor, right? I can handle things. I can call my own shots. I am my own God, and God is standing there while you're saying those things and thinking those things, and he's saying, I love you unconditionally. There's a void in your life that will never, ever, ever be filled by anything else but me. So I challenge you. Regardless of where you are, as Pastor Gage said, leading us in worship today, you may be a believer, you've been following the Lord for years, and, and when you walked in here today, you'd have said, me and Jesus are tight. Or maybe you're just here exploring Christianity. Maybe you're somewhere between those two. But wherever you are, I pray that today, today, you will in fact know, feel, understand, experience What's the last part of that verse, Ephesians 3? So at last you will be filled up with God himself. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for loving us that much. Thank you for loving us no matter who we are, where we've been, what we've done. You aren't concerned with how far we've come on this journey. You're only concerned with the direction of our feet from this point forward. Thank you.
for being that kind of God. Thank you for showing your love to us now. You keep your heads bowed for just a minute. Nobody looking around. We're going to close, but, but just very quickly. I'll let you go in a minute. Just very quickly. Would you pray a prayer with me? Might be a humbling prayer, but that's the point. Pray out loud. Pray in your own words. Pray silently. I don't care, but it's God that you're talking to. I admit, Lord that some of the misunderstandings in my relationships is because I've been too proud to see my part. I confess that the intimacy that I long for in relationships have eluded me because I've put up walls. Oh, I put them up to protect myself, but in the process, shut out the very people that I wanted to be in relationship with. And I admit to you here and now that some of the conflicts I have in the relationships that I'm in have gone on too long simply because I haven't been willing to humble myself and either forgive or ask for forgiveness. So here and now, Lord, you said if we would confess, you would forgive. Here and now, give me a fresh start. Right now, give me a fresh start with you and with my relationships. Fresh start right now. Help me to acknowledge my humanity. Help me to focus on your grace and help me, not just in worship experiences, not just when we're together in the church setting, but wherever I am every day, help me to feel and understand and experience how deeply you love me. And let that relationship define all the others. Father, you know who's praying right now. You know what we need in our lives, and I pray simply that you would show yourself to us, fill any voids in our lives, and let us know that as we do life this way, our relationships will go to the next level. In Jesus' name, amen. Prayer teams up here after the service that love nothing better than to pray with you. If you've got a relational issue, maybe you need to just agree with somebody in prayer over healing in a relationship, or maybe you need a physical healing, whatever it is. Prayer teams here, they'd love to pray with you after the service today. If you've just committed your life to Christ, there's some literature back there in the back. We'd love to present that to you. And if you're a guest today, our first-time guest, stop by the VIP table, okay, because we've got a gift for you. We're so glad you've come today. God bless you. Thanks for coming. Father, go with us from this place and let us walk in your love. Let us see what relationships can look like. In Jesus' name, amen.